0: We are in a long study of the church. We are in the 23rd chapter uh, of Acts, and God has been teaching us. God has been training us. God has been equipping us all the way through this study as his church, and I say that every week. That's what God has been doing. That's what he is doing. Last week, we were reminded we are the church. As a believer, you are the church, not Somebody else, not some other group, but believer, you are the church. So here's my question as we begin back this morning, how real is that to you? You are the church. You are God's plan for sharing the gospel with a lost world. How real is that to you? Do you hear that and you say, yes, I, I get it. I've got a mission in life. I've got a place and I've got a purpose in life. Christ has called me and Christ has commission, commissioned me. And yes, I am the church. Is that what you hear when I say that? Yes, I am the church. Or do you hear that and think, well, I'm glad for the church, so glad for the church you know, I, I, I surely appreciate, I like the church. I'm glad it's there when I need it. I'm glad there are people there that are working in it, that they found their place. I'm, I'm glad for them. Maybe someday when these things take care of themselves, when, when some things happen, maybe I'll be like them. Maybe I'll be able to do that one day. When you hear you are the church, what does that do to you? How real is that to you? Here's the deal. Here's the issue. It's not how committed you are to the church. It's not how impressed you are by the church. It's not how close you are to the church, how active you are to the church. We, we think that, and so we try to market the church We try and sell the church. We try and and tell people, well, here are the good things about our church and the good things going on in our church. And we, we try to lure people and lead people to the church. It's not how committed you are to the church. It's not how impressed you are with the church. It's not how close you are to the church. But rather, it is how committed you are, how impressed you are, how close you are to Christ. And I want to tell you, I, I have come to realize that, that. That is the issue. How close you are to Christ. I'm going to tell you maybe honestly, that is the problem today. Well, I want you to be sure of this. Hear me very carefully. If we are going to be the church, listen, if we, if you are going to be the church, we have to get And we have to be and we have to stay close to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know there's no other way? Do you know that's what propels this whole thing? If we are going to be the church of Jesus Christ, listen, you have to draw close to Jesus, our Savior. Here's the question. How real is that to you? How real is that to you? Today, we're going to continue. We're going to move along. We're starting today in the 23rd chapter. Our verses today are found in Acts chapter 23, verses 1 through 11. Acts chapter 23, verses 1 through 11. Our message today is entitled, Jesus and His Church. Jesus and His Church. Acts chapter 23, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 23, beginning in the first verse, God's word says this. Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up until this day. The high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try Me, according to the law, and in violation of the law, you ordered me struck. But the bystander said, Do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But perceiving that one of the group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. As he said this, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledged them all, and there occurred a great uproar. And some of the scribes of the Pharisaic party stood up and began to argue heatedly, saying, We find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. And as a great dissension was developing, the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them and ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come today, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for hope today. We're thankful for peace today. Lord, we're thankful as we've gathered as the church that we have a mission empowered by you to lift up the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you have been pleased in our service. Lord, I pray that you've been known in our service, glorified, and now I pray in the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to your people, that it wouldn't be my message, but it would be your truth, your message, your word to your people, and I pray that it would have a supernatural impact, that we would expect that. Lord, speak to us today. Meet with us today. Teach us, guide us through your word. Lord, I pray if there's somebody in this room that doesn't know you, I pray that in the hearing of of the gospel of grace, in the hearing of a risen Savior, hope for sinners that today is the day of their salvation. Maybe listening in some other means, Lord, I pray that the barriers are removed and today is the day of their salvation. Lord, we, we tell you we love you, we seek you, we turn to you, we trust you, we love you and we, we give this service to you and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, as we move along today in our verses, I want you to make the effort to see the picture of what is happening here. I want you to make the effort to see, to to watch what is happening as our account unfolds this morning. Now, understand at this point, Paul has faithfully proclaimed the gospel to the Jews he has preached the truth that the Messiah has come, that we have a Savior in Jesus. To the the Gentiles and the Gentile world, he has told them we have hope and peace and salvation in a resurrected Savior, Jesus. He has preached the gospel. He has poured everything into the world knowing their hope is in Jesus. As we read these accounts, we see he really is consumed with it. Now we also read that for that he has suffered greatly. For that, he has paid a high price. At this point, Paul has made his way back to Jerusalem for the Passover. He's going to check on and see the church there in Jerusalem, but he has come back to Jerusalem for the Passover event. The account has told us, once they're in Jerusalem, that he has addressed the Jewish crowd, a crowd that was set to kill him, to silence him. This crowd turns into a riot, and he has spoken to, he has addressed the Jewish crowd. Well, now in our verses, beginning here in chapter 23, he addresses not the crowd, but now the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. Now he's doing that for the benefit of the Roman commander. Remember, he's trying to figure out what the fuss is all about. He's trying to get to the bottom of the ruckus that's occurring there. And so he's addressing the Jewish leading leaders, the the, the council, the Sanhedrin, for the benefit of this Roman commander to settle the issue. Now, as I think about this group, the Sanhedrin, I'm really not sure what to think about them. And, 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 And maybe as I think about them, no sadder group exists. Now, I think about that. They are infuriating. When I read them, I I can get upset with them. When When I read about them, they are foolish. They're a foolish set of folks. They're a worldly set of folks. But I want to tell you, maybe, perhaps, no sadder group has ever existed. I want you to think about this. This group, the Sanhedrin, this group, they heard from Jesus. Remember, they brought and they interviewed and they heard from Jesus. Jesus himself spoke to them. They, they heard from Peter or from John. They were hauled before them. They, they testified faithfully about Jesus. They heard from Peter and from John. They, the Bible say, tells us they heard from all the apostles. Can you imagine all the apostles there giving a gospel witness? They've heard from Stephen. He also came and proclaimed the truth of Jesus. A Jew himself, he told them that they had found the Messiah. Can you imagine being so close and yet missing Jesus? Maybe no sadder group ever existed. Being so close and yet missing Jesus. Well, now here in chapter 23, they are assembled again. We're gonna start in our verses. Chapter 23, verse one. Paul Looking intently at the council said, brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. It says, Paul, looking intently. Now, I want you to see this. He looks right at them. That's what the the, the original language says. He looks deeply, intently at them. He doesn't look down. He's not fumbling around. He's not timid. He's not unsure of what he's going to say. He looks directly, intently at them. Here's what he says, brethren. Now, this word is a tie to them. It's an attempt to tie himself to them. They are saying he is a troubler of the Jews. He reminds them in the previous chapter and in this title, he himself is a Jew. Brethren, he ties himself to them. I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. It's a weird Greek phrase. It means he has lived as a citizen before God. That's literally what it translates. That's what it means. Paul says, I have perfectly lived out my life as a citizen before God. Now, not as a Roman citizen, not even as a Jewish citizen, but as a citizen of God's kingdom. It means before the view of God. Paul is saying he has been faithful to live in a way that seeks the honor of God. He says all of my life, my motivation has been seeking the honor of God. Now I want you to see this. He is not saying that his actions were always right. Somebody might read that and say, well, he must have never sinned. His actions must have always been right. No, he killed Christians. He'll tell you that. He regrets that. In fact, he calls himself the chief of sinners. And so he's not saying his actions were always right, but he's saying that his motivation was right and that he sought to honor God. He is a man with a zeal and a passion for God's honor. All right, verse 2. The high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Ananias replaced Annas as the high priest. At this point, he is relatively a new high priest. Uh, Historians tell us of Ananias that he was exceedingly cruel. One of the accounts Josephus, a historian, tells us, He was actually brought up on cruelty charges before the Roman government for his mistreatment of the Samaritans. He was exceedingly cruel. He was a greedy man. He was willing to work with the Romans. It is also reported by historians, he stole the tithes and the pay of the other priests. If anybody resisted him, he had them beaten by the temple priests. And so he is a cruel man. He is a crooked man. He is a selfish man. Well, true to his form, he has Paul, the Bible says, struck in the mouth. Now, that word's worth looking up. It doesn't mean a slap across the face. It is a blow to the face. And so he is punched in the face. Verse 3. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you. You whitewashed wall, do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? The Jewish people, the Jewish system at the hands of these people had really become a contradiction. The, the Jewish system had changed, had morphed, had become really a, a contradiction. The, they, the, these leaders, they called people to live by the law, but they themselves violated their own laws. They upheld the law, they pointed to the law, they called the people to live according to the law, but they themselves lived for their own purposes. Paul fires up here in anger. Now, I, I think this is interesting, but it's the truth. He he, he really gets angry. They strike him in the mouth, and, and, and Paul fires up here in anger. He says, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Now, a whitewashed wall is a freshly painted wall. Now, think about that. Just think about what that means. Here's this wall. You put a coat of paint on it, a, a fresh coat of white paint, and it appears to be clean, but it's really just a covering. It appears to be clean, but really it's just an appearance. It appears that the wall is in good order, but it's just an outside show. Well, Paul here is calling him a fake. That's what he says. God's going to strike you. You're a fraud. He is calling him a hypocrite. Now, in the Jewish law, it was illegal against the law to strike a Jewish person before the verdict was rendered. Now, they might do it after as part of the verdict, as part of the judgment, but it was illegal to strike them before the verdict was rendered. Well, there's not even been a case made, and he already strikes them. This is against the law. And so Paul says, and you judge me, and yet you break the law. Now, these few verses here, this event right here, is a pretty strange happening. And we read that, and I think this is kind of a weird thing. It's a pretty, uh, pretty strange happening. Let's keep going, verse 4. But the bystanders said, Do you revile God's high priest? Paul gets mad. He says these things. The bystanders are watching, and they say, Do you revile God's high priest? The word revile means insult. Do you insult the high priest? They turn it back around On Paul, verse 5, and Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was high priest. For, this is what Paul says, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now there are some people, and they'll say that he did not know that he was high priest. There are some people that teach that, some commentators will say that that he actually didn't know he was high priest, that Paul had been away from town, he'd been traveling, that this was a new high priest, he hadn't met them, hadn't been introduced, that he actually did not know he was high priest. Let me just say this. I think that's probably highly unlikely. I think there's a bunch of fanfare when the high priest comes in. I think his clothes for sure would show he's the high priest. I think he knew he was the high priest. I think that's unlikely. I think Paul is mad, and here's what I think. I think Paul says this, you do not act like the high priest, and so I do not recognize you as the high priest. That's what I think. He actually insults him. He doesn't act like a high priest. He's breaking his own law. I don't see him. I don't recognize him as a high priest. In his anger, he insults him. That's what actually happens, I believe. But see this. But either way, Paul remembers and goes back to the Word of God. Now, the Word of God said, do not insult the leader of the people. Paul actually remembers. They say, did you insult him? He goes back to the verses. He remembers the verses, say, do not insult a leader of the people. I want you to see this. Jesus said to turn the other cheek. Jesus says, do not repay evil for evil. Jesus tells us, gives us the example of humility. Honestly, let's be honest, this is not a Christ-like response. And I'll just tell you, it's not a Christ-like response. He insults him. He's mad. He's been hit. It's not a Christ-like response. But let me tell you something. Paul's not Jesus. And he gets mad. And he messes up. But as he does, he goes back and he lines up with the word of God. Friends, I want you to understand that is our example. We mess up. We fail. Sometimes it is at critical points. Sometimes it is at important times. But the example is when we do, we go back and we repent and we line up with the word of God. All right, verse 6. But perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. Listen to verse 6 again. But perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. Verse 6, Paul notices, he sees that there are two groups there. He sees this group, the Sanhedrin, is made up really of two political parties. Now they might have said they divided along theological lines, but really they've evolved into political groups, political parties. There's the Sadducees, and they are the majority of the Sanhedrin, and there are the Pharisees, and they hold the minority of the Sanhedrin. Paul sees the Pharisees in the group, and he yells out, I'm a Pharisee. I'm the son of Pharisees. It means he was trained by Pharisees. They knew that. They respected that. And he says, the issue is, I am on trial for the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Now, I want you to hear that. He says the issue here, that the deal here, is I am on trial for the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Now, stay with me, verse 7. As he said this, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Now, the Pharisees believed in an afterlife, In fact, their hope was in an afterlife. The Sadducees, they did not. They did not believe there was eternal life. They believed there was no life after a person was dead. And so here in the council, here in the Sanhedrin, there starts to brew an argument. Here in the council, there starts to be a sharp disagreement. And verse 7 says, and the assembly is divided. Verse 8. For the Sadducees said there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledged them all, verse nine. And there occurred a great uproar. And some of the scribes of the Pharisaic party stood up and began to argue heatedly saying, we find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. Now, there are some people And they think Paul started this controversy here as a distraction. And I think there's a lot of folks, in fact, that believe that. They think that he was smart and he was wise, and he starts a controversy here as a distraction. He stirs up a debate as a way to take the heat off of himself. Here they are, and they're mad at him. In fact, they want to tear him apart. And so he starts this this division, this dissension in the assembly in hopes that they would turn On each other. Let me tell you again, I don't think so. I don't think that's what's happening here. You see, I don't think he's scared of them. I I don't think he has any fear of them. In fact, he is very bold in addressing them. He's been bold in addressing them. Verse one said that when he came in, he looked them intently in the eyes. I don't think he's starting a distraction that he could get off easily. No, I think he is making a case here for all of them. I think he is bringing the real issue to light here for all of them. You see, the real issue was not the idea of a resurrection. The issue is not the concept of a resurrection. The issue is here not the possibility of a resurrection. The issue for the Sadducees was the same issue for the Pharisees And that was the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, the Nazarene, the Messiah promised of God, the son of Abraham, the seed of David, the lamb who died for sinners and having died on the cross, yet lives again. Listen to me. The issue is the resurrection of Jesus. And so Paul says, I'm on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. He is a reality. He is a truth. And he has a name. His name is Jesus. It's why they beat Peter and John. They told him of a resurrected Jesus. It's why they persecuted the 12. They testified to a resurrected Jesus. It's why they stoned Stephen. He came and they said, there is a Messiah, a Savior, and, and you killed him. And they stoned Stephen. He was professing a resurrected Jesus. The issue was the truth of a resurrected Jesus. Friends, listen to me. The age in which we're living. You watch the age we're living in, things we can't imagine. Things getting black, things getting dark, Things are, are, are the, the, the truth of the gospel is being crushed out. Folks, I want you to hear me today. In these days that we're living in, the issue is still Jesus. Everything still hinges on Jesus. You're going to be saved or you're not going to be saved in the truth of Jesus. You're going to find hope or crush without hope in the truth of Jesus. The truth is still Jesus. And so the attack today is still on Jesus. Jesus is the issue. Well, It's liberals or it's conservatives or it's crazy people or whatever you want to say. Listen to me. Don't get distracted. The issue is still a resurrected Savior, the hope of sinners, Jesus. Verse 10. And as a great dissension was developing, the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them and order the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. Again and again and again we see this pattern. If you hate the message, you kill the messenger. And So he says the issues, is the resurrected Jesus, he knows they're about to tear him apart. And so the commander doesn't get his resolution today. He doesn't get his answer today. He, he sends his guards to, to snatch Paul away and take him to the barracks to safety. Okay, verse 11, last verse. Verse 11, if you haven't been awake yet, wake up right here. Verse 11, some of y'all actually just woke up. (laughs) Welcome, Calvary Baptist Church. (laughs) Verse 11 is a change in perspective. I want you to stay with me. Up until now we have seen how we relate to Jesus in the church. Now watch this. Up until now, we have seen how we relate to Jesus as the church. We love him. We obey him. We serve him and we serve his cause. Up until now, it has been how we relate to Jesus as the church. Well, here in verse 11, I didn't tell you, it's awesome. It's so good. In verse 11, We're going to see how Jesus relates to us in the church. This is awesome. In verse 11, it's going to be a turnaround. We're going to see how Jesus relates to those in the church. All right, let's look at verse 11. Let me read it. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Now I want you to see this. I want to walk us through this 11th verse. It says, but on the night immediately following. It means on not that night, but the next night. On the night immediately following this event, so on the next night. Folks, sometimes the hard night Sometimes the hardest night is not the night of the big event, but the night after the big event. Do you know that? Sometimes the hardest night is not the night of the funeral, but it's the night after the funeral, after everybody's gone home. Sometimes the hardest night is not the night that you get the diagnosis. It's the next night when you sit there and the truth sets in of the diagnosis. Sometimes the hardest night is is not that night, it is the next night. And for Paul on the next night, we're going to see what Jesus does. First thing, Jesus saw what he did. Jesus saw what he did. It did not go unnoticed. Jesus saw Paul as he stands. Jesus sees Paul as he preaches the gospel. He sees him as he's all alone, and there he is, and he's preaching the gospel, facing danger. Jesus saw what he did. Listen, as we're faithful to Jesus in the service of the gospel, in the service of the church, Jesus knows and Jesus sees. Listen to me, believer. Sometimes it may seem like nobody knows what we're doing Sometimes it may seem like nobody understands what we're doing, why we're doing. Sometimes it may seem like nobody even cares what we're doing as we seek to honor Jesus Christ. But I want you to see this. Jesus sees. Jesus sees. Praise the Lord. First thing, Jesus saw what he did. Second thing is this. It may be more awesome. Second thing is this. Jesus stood by his side. Jesus stood by his side. Friends, friends get that today. Seeing Paul's faithfulness, Jesus draws near. Now I want you to notice something here. Notice where he stands. He doesn't stand in front of him. Oh, listen, that always Jesus would be in front of us. He doesn't stand behind him. Oh, that Jesus would always be behind us. But we read here in this verse, Jesus stands Beside him, as a caring friend would stand. Listen to me. Jesus is Lord, yes. Jesus is King, yes. Jesus is Savior, yes. But here, as he draws next to Paul, he stands as his kind friend. I was thinking about this just this morning. Do you know, when Jesus stood in Jerusalem... Nobody stood with Him. Everybody deserted. Everybody pulled back. And I thought about that. Jesus stood. Same counsel. Jesus stood. Nobody stood with Him. He knows what it's like. He doesn't let that happen to Paul. Let me tell you something. It's hard to be somewhere and have nobody beside you. It's hard to have nobody to walk with. It's hard to have nobody to lean on. It's hard to have nobody to look to. Jesus knew that. And so Jesus stands Beside him. Praise the Lord. Jesus saw him. Jesus stood by his side. Here's the next thing. Jesus encouraged him. Jesus encouraged him. At the start of verse 11, he says, take courage. Now that word in the original language, it means to embolden within. Now I thought about that. That's a different thing from an outwardly show. You know, it's one thing to say, okay, here we go. But it's another thing to have an inward resolve. It means to embolden within. It means to build courage. It literally means to warm the heart. The most literal translation is this, to light a fire in your heart. Ooh, what a picture that is. To light a fire in your heart. Let me tell you something. Be very sure today, some of you know this. One of the biggest battles we face, we don't want to say it, but one of the biggest battles we face is discouragement. One of the biggest battles we face is to become disheartened and to sit around and say, you know what, I don't, I don't think this is working I've spent all these years, I've spent all this time, I've invested all this, it doesn't seem to be working out. Nobody cares about me. Nobody cares what I'm doing. This effort doesn't seem to matter. This is way too much. I'm not able to do this. It is too hard for me. I can't do this. And one of the greatest battles is the battle of discouragement. Listen to me. Jesus comes and he builds a fire in his heart. Jesus encourages him. All right, fourth thing, watch this. And then, I want you to hear this, Jesus promises to use him. Jesus promises to use him. He says this, as you have solemnly witnessed, it's the same word that we saw last week, to testify with the weight of death, to testify in the seriousness of death. With the threat of death, you do not recant. That's how serious you are about this testimony. He says, in the same way you have solemnly witnessed, in the same way you must witness, testify in Rome. Here's what Jesus promises. Jesus promises to use him. What joy and what hope for Jesus to say, I've got a purpose for you. I want you to hear this. What hope and what joy it is for Jesus to say, I've got a plan for you. I'm not through with you. In fact, I maybe not have even started with you. But for Jesus to come along and say, I'm going to use you. Dear believer, I want you to listen to me today. I want you to hear me. Jesus has a plan for you. Well, you don't know my past. Well, you don't know what I've done well, you don't know where I've messed up in the past. You don't know how old I am. You don't know what my health looks like. You don't know my age. Jesus has a plan for you. And if you will draw close to Him, And if you will seek him, and if you will submit to him, listen, what he's going to do, he's going to light a fire in your heart. I can't put that there. The church can't put that there. Jesus is going to light a fire in your heart. He's going to stand beside you as your encouraging friend. And I want you to hear me today. Listen, he will use you. God, Jesus will use you. Listen to what Paul writes. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, just listen, verses 3 through 5. Here's what Paul says. Blessed, whoo, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are any in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant in Christ. Friends, listen to me today. I'm not going to call you to the church. I'm not going to encourage you about the church today. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call you to Jesus. I'm going to hold up the truth of Jesus. My prayer is that you'd be astounded with our Savior, Jesus. My hope is that you would love Jesus. The call today is this, listen, draw close to Jesus. Whoever you are, as you sit there today, draw close to Jesus. He says if you'll seek Him, you'll find Him. Draw close to Jesus. Some of you, maybe for the very first time, maybe you've heard about Him, maybe you've skirted around Him, maybe you've never drawn close to Him by placing your faith in Him and being saved, forgiven of your sin. Some of you, it's for the very first time, listen, draw close to Jesus. Some of us here, we've trusted Christ, but maybe we need to trust him anew. Maybe we need to to come and draw close anew. Draw close to Jesus. He'll light a fire in your heart. He'll stand beside you, and he will use you. And then, guess what? We're the church. We're the church. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. We praise you. We thank you. We worship you. Lord, we come and I pray the the fruit of this message is that people are considering you, that we're thinking about a Savior that loves us, a kind Savior, a friend that would stand beside us, encourage us. Lord, I I pray the fruit of this day is that we would draw close to you, not in religious rhetoric, not in in some fancy doublespeak, but we as sinners saved in the grace of God would love Jesus and we would draw close to You. Lord, I pray for some that are doing that for the very first time. I pray, Lord, that they would, they would understand, they would hear the Gospel clearly, that any hindrance would be removed and they would trust You today. I, I pray for many of us today that we would, we would come in and anew, afresh, we would draw close to You. I pray as, as we walk out in that condition, the world would see there's a Gospel that's true, a Savior that's love, a hope that endures, a peace the world can't give that you be glorified in that. Lord, as we conclude this service, I pray that you would speak. I believe you are. I pray that you continue to speak. And I pray for decisions to be made for the glory of our Savior, Jesus. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. I I want you today, if you're here and you never trusted Jesus, I want you to hear the good news. Listen to me. God loves you. God loves you. There's no sin that's too big, no distance that's too great. You can come up with a whole list of things. God loves you. He loves you so much that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus our Savior. He comes, humbles Himself, comes as a man. Takes on flesh to live as a man to save men. That's what He does. He doesn't sin, never sins. He goes to the cross and He pays for the sins of people, for your sins and for my sins. He pays for them there. It's settled in the cross. He says it is finished as He dies. With the penalty paid, they put Him in a grave. And I want to tell you the greatest news ever The penalty is paid. Redemption is purchased. And three days later, He steps out of the grave. He stands as a risen, resurrected Savior. Our hope. The hope of sinners. The Bible says, if you'll profess Him as Lord, receive Him as your Savior, repenting, turning, walking away from your sin, listen to this, you shall be saved. Well, I haven't been to church that many times. I haven't been to church for many years. I I don't know all the verses. I haven't done a bunch of good things. Listen, not in any of that. No work that man might do or muster. But by faith in Jesus, you can be saved right now. If you've never trusted Jesus, turn to Him today. He'll save you today. He'll save you today. If you have trusted Christ, oh, what an awesome thing to hear. You know what? God's got plans for me. God's got a purpose for me. And maybe you're a farmer. Maybe you're an insurance agent. Maybe you're a a stay-at-home mom. Maybe you're retired. God's got a purpose for you. God's got a plan for you. And it's to hold up His name and lead many people to Him. Walk in that. Draw close to Him. Maybe you're here today and you need to follow in Believer's Baptism. You've trusted Christ but you've never been baptized to show folks, you know what, this is what's happened to me in and through Christ. This is my testimony of Christ. And so you need to come and we'll set a day it'll be a great day of celebration. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it. You believe God has led you here. You come and together we'll serve His name, His glory, upholding His truth until He comes again. Maybe you're here and you need more information. Maybe you're here and you're looking for a Savior. Maybe you're like Zacchaeus getting ready to go up in a tree and stretch out your neck. Is there hope for me? Listen, there is in Jesus. You come. Let's settle that today. As we stand to sing, if you have a decision to make, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you.